Father God, I just thank you so much for the privilege to be here today, to be in your presence. I thank you, Father, that we have the freedom and the liberty to gather together and to hear from you, to be in your presence, to hear from your word. Lord, it's my desire today to articulate what you've placed on my heart uh, in such a way that it brings glory and honor to you. Father, it's my ask that um, as I speak today, that your word, your truth goes forth and it penetrates the hearts of people, that people experience you for themselves, that they uh, come to know you in a greater way, and that their relationship with you uh, takes the next step that it needs to take. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, we're going to start today in Mark 6, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. So let's look at this. It says, Jesus went away from there and came to his own country and hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who listened to him were utterly astonished, saying, where did this man acquire all of this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty works and exhibitions of power are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here among us? And they took offense at him and were hurt. That is, they disapproved of him, and it hindered them from acknowledging his authority, and they were caused to stumble and fall. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, and among his relatives, and in his own house. And he was not able to do even one work of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sickly people and cured them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, their lack of faith in him, and he went among the surrounding villages and continued teaching. I want to talk through this passage of scripture a little bit and give some context to it. First of all, Jesus was going to Nazareth, his hometown, after coming from Capernaum, where in Capernaum, he had healed the woman with the issue of blood, if you remember that miracle story, and he had raised a little girl from the dead. So he was coming off of some pretty powerful miracles. I don't know about you, but raising someone from the dead, that's pretty significant, right? And he was headed to his hometown. And this was actually his second trip back to Nazareth after leaving. So he spent 30 years in Nazareth, and then he went out to fulfill his ministry. And on his first trip to Nazareth, it actually didn't go very well. He came to his hometown, and he was up in the synagogue, and he, was, he found, if you remember, if you recall, Isaiah 61. And he, and he spoke out of the scriptures saying, you know, the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to men broken hearts. And he said those scriptures and those verses and said, today this verse is fulfilled before you. And what happened? His hometown, those people, they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. Yeah right? And so now this is his second trip to Nazareth. He's going back home. And I imagine that he cared for the people of his hometown. You know, we just got back from spending a week in Texas. I'm from Katy, which is right outside of Houston. And I enjoy going back home. We have some Texans in the house. All right. Um, I enjoy going back home. I enjoy spending time with my family. I enjoy kind of seeing how life is continuing to happen and, um, you know, old houses and looking at old stomping grounds and that kind of thing. So I enjoy going home. And I imagine that he cared for the people of his hometown. I imagine that spending 30 years in that town, he knew people pretty well. He knew their hurts. He knew maybe what was going on in their lives and their families and in their bodies. 
And what struck me is a few things here in this passage. First, it says that Jesus preached in the synagogue. But if you read the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these are eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus written by his disciples, I see a lot of Jesus preaching in the villages, in the marketplaces, in the streets, in homes, where people were flocking to him. He couldn't, even, he couldn't wait to get... It wasn't about the Sabbath in the synagogue. It was just wherever he was, people were flocking to them because they'd heard about him, but not in his own hometown. He went to the synagogue, and that is where he taught. See, these people, they thought they knew Jesus. They knew where he grew up. They knew his home life, and they knew that Jesus was a carpenter, that he that he worked with his hands, they knew that Jesus didn't study, study under a rabbi. And so as Jesus was speaking in the synagogue, as he was ministering, they were looking at him like, who do you think you are? Where is this wisdom coming from? You're a carpenter. You didn't study under a rabbi. You didn't follow us, the system that we have in place. Your words aren't coming from a, a, someone that we esteem as a person in authority, as a religious leader. He, they thought he, 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 he's not speaking rabbi's words. He didn't study under one, under one, and they couldn't fathom that he would be speaking words directly from God. They even asked, where, how did the power get in his hands? He didn't have that growing up. Where is that coming from? You see, everything that Jesus was doing and saying was pointing them to God, but they could not get beyond the history of Jesus. They acknowledged the power, but they failed to recognize it was from God, and they failed to honor God. These verses even tell us that they grew angry and began to attack Jesus, his background, his legitimacy, and his family. They said, why should we listen to a commoner, a guy who does manual labor? They even said, this is the son of Mary. And if you understand Jewish culture, you understand that this was actually a dig at Jesus. Because sons were identified by the name of their father, and a man was called by his mother's name only when his father was unknown. So they were calling Jesus illegitimate. They thought they knew Jesus, but they really didn't. Pride caused them to miss out on their savior. To them, Jesus was just an ordinary guy. His family didn't understand him. They took offense to Jesus. They rejected faith. They were angry. They were in shock. And they were not going to see Jesus as anything other than human. They rejected, not for lack of evidence, but in spite of overwhelming evidence. They just couldn't get past what they thought they knew. When we reject Jesus, it's simply because we prefer our own way to God's way. And Jesus, it says he wondered at their unbelief, the cause of their unbelief was because they thought they knew who Jesus was, but they really didn't. You know, the title of my message today is Just Jesus, and that can be read in two ways. It can be read as, ah, just Jesus. Oh, it's just Jesus. Dismissive, no big deal. As I imagine many of the people that day that Jesus was up in the synagogue teaching thought in their heads, well, that's just Jesus. Or it can be read, just Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Jesus is all I need, and I don't want anything else but Jesus. You know, I never want to miss 
what God is doing. I never want to miss what Jesus has for me. I don't want to be so wrapped up in my expectations and the way I think that Jesus is going to do something or deliver something that I miss what I'm believing for. You know, these people missed the Savior that they'd been praying for and hearing about for their whole lives. I've been meditating a lot on Jesus, and I I had a poster in my room on the back of my door growing up. I'm not sure where it came from or or how I got it, but um, it talks about Jesus and the names of Jesus. And, you know, I think we, we can miss an element of Jesus. You know, Jesus is our Savior, and it is about um, uh, giving our hearts to him and our lives to him so that we have eternal life and live in heaven. But there's so many aspects of Jesus that we need to come to know and that we can miss and not fully comprehend and understand who he is. He's the Prince of Peace. He's a mighty God. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the word of life. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's Lord of all. He's the son of God. He's king of kings. He's so many things. And as, as um, a few weeks ago when we started talking about this Sunday and, and um, we said that with my husband and I said, okay, I'll do this Sunday, I, ha- I originally had something in my heart that I, I wanted to communicate. And as I began to spend time with Jesus, uh, it was clear that he was kind of shifting uh, the direction and morphing it and, and really um, laying on my heart to just speak about Jesus. And you're going to laugh, but my first thought at that was like, but Lord, like Easter's coming and we're going to talk about Jesus on Easter. Like we're going to go through the whole thing. I mean, it's Easter, right? And it's my husband's first Easter as lead pastor and I don't want to steal his thunder. Like let him talk about Jesus. Like, you know. And at the same time, just as you're doing, I kind of laughed and chuckled at myself because, you know, um, <laughs> we're nothing without Jesus, right? And we can stand here and we can give you, you know, messages on um, how to have a great marriage and how to be good parents and how to be a good friend and how to overcome this and how to walk through that. And this book is full of wisdom and it is full of um, guidelines and guardrails and, and, and truth and the way we should live our life. But this book, in essence, is all about Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can get our eyes off of Jesus and onto ourselves and our own actions and the actions of others and the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do and the things we should say and the way we should talk and the way we shouldn't talk and how all of those things. And, and, we be, and when we do that, we begin to be or we turn into moralists instead of disciples of Jesus. You know, first and foremost, it's Jesus. First and foremost, it's the gospel. And the gospel is simply that that I am a sinner. I I am not perfect. I have flaws and insecurities, and I lose my cool and all of the things. And in the midst of my shame and my insecurities and my pride and, 
in all of the mess, Jesus sees me and he loves me and God wants me to be in his presence. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. And he was raised from the dead three days later. And he has put me in right standing with my heavenly father so that in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of uh, overwhelming uh, worry or anxiety, in the midst of pain, in the midst of lack, in the midst of living in a fallen world and all of the junk that comes with that, I can say, I have Jesus. I know the word. I know my savior. And I know how to walk through this. I know how to live in this life with joy, with peace, with confidence. No matter what's going on around out there, I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be uncertain because my certainty comes from knowing Jesus. You know, I don't want you to give God your actions. I want you to give him your heart because that's what he's asked for. Luke 10, 27 says, and he, Jesus, answered. He was asked a question in, in this verse right before it. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And it's, Jesus answers and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. See, my behavior and my attitudes change the more I get to know Jesus, the more I come to understand who he is and how much I need him in my life. The more I come to know my Heavenly Father, the more I want to be like Him, I want to act like Him, and I want to say what He says. Listen, the more I come to know Jesus, think of it like this. If you're a parent, you know, we have certain standards in our household. We have certain um, core values that we live by. There's a certain standard in our home. And I don't have that standard because I am trying to box my children in or keep them from having fun or protect them from everything. I have that standard because I love them. And what I'm trying to teach my children is not obedience out of fear or obedience because we don't want to get in trouble. But what I'm trying to teach my children is that because I love them, I have certain things put in place. And because mommy and daddy know more than my seven-year-old, my three-year-old, and my one-year-old, we see some things out ahead. We've gone ahead. We've done this life. And so I know that there's certain expectations that I want to hold them to, and we base those expectations off of the word of God. And I'm doing that out of love for them. And so I'm trying to teach Hunter and Emmy and Cash, when you hear mommy's voice, I want you to obey what mommy says the first time because you know that mommy loves you. And what I'm asking you to do is for your good. It's the same with the word of God. When you understand how much God loves you, when you understand the reality of a savior in Jesus who gave his life for you, then when you read this word and you see what's written in it, it becomes a lot easier to choose to follow it because you know it was written from a place of love. This isn't an outdated book. This isn't something to be indifferent about. This isn't something um, that is no longer relevant. It's very relevant. It's very relevant. 
When it talks about forgiveness, it talks about forgiveness for a reason because our Heavenly Father knows what happens in our hearts and in our natural bodies when we hold bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. When it talks about love believes the best, it's because the Lord knows how many opportunities we're going to have to believe the worst. And he knows how much heartache can be saved if we just choose to believe the best. When we talk about confessing the word of God, it's not a transactional thing. It's not, uh, when I talk about confessing the word, it's not a magical spell. And it's not denying reality. It's not ignoring what's going on. So when I talk about confessing the word, I'm saying what my father says about my situation. How many of you have have ever said, well, like my daddy always says, or like my mama always said, right? When I get a negative doctor's report, I'm going to say what my father says. Listen, this is so, it's so, so, so important that we believe every portion and part of this book. Listen, listen, when it says in here that sex is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman, he says that intentionally because he knows what will happen to your heart and to your soul when you give a part of yourself away before you are married. He knows. He knows. And he loves you so much, he wants to spare you of that. When he talks about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives as Christ loves the church, he knows the freedom and the security and the intimacy and the love that comes from that. He knows, and he wants to help you. Listen, we have to teach. I'm not trying to uh, teach my kids to be good people. I want to introduce my kids to Jesus. I want them to meet Jesus. I want them to see Jesus in me. And I am imperfect in every way, shape, and form, but I know that I need my Savior. And so when I fail in front of them, I can say, I messed up, but this is why I need Jesus. You need Jesus too. We all need Jesus. There's, it's a level playing field. There's not one person in the world that's better than any of the rest of us. We all need Jesus. Every single one of us. And when we teach our kids to know Jesus, and when we teach our kids what the word says, what Jesus says they are, when people start trying to groom them and tell them who they are, And ask them how they feel. And ask them what they think that they are. And who they think they should love. They're going to know who Jesus is. They're going to know the love of Jesus. And they're going to be able to discern right from wrong and say, no, 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 no. I know who I am. I know who I belong to. I know what Jesus created me to be. I know who created Jesus created me. I know the way he created me. And he doesn't make mistakes. He does not make mistakes. So why Jesus? To understand our need for Jesus, I believe that we need to understand what sin is. And sin is so much more than the Ten Commandments, right? Lying, stealing, murdering, cheating, that kind of thing. Listen to this definition that I found of sin. 
Sin is so much more than simply making a mistake. Sin is a corruption that has distorted and infected all of God's creation. It's the disease of self-centeredness that blinds us to the image of God in ourselves and others. It tricks us into believing we're more valuable and important than others. Sin works to degrade us and dehumanize others. That's pretty significant when we look at what sin is. It's a corruption that has distorted and infected all of God's creation. There isn't anything untouched by sin. But there's a purpose that we've, we are created to fulfill. And to sin is to fail to achieve the purpose we've been created for. You see, we are truly human. And we are called to be human and accurately reflect the goodness of God to his creation. Sin is a d- disease that degrades and disrespects every part of who we are. But God, in his wisdom and his mercy in our sin sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins and live in the purpose that we were made for. Sin creates shame, but Jesus offers grace. Sin escalates, it consumes, and it destroys. But the grace of Jesus is so much bigger, better, and more powerful than sin. So what difference are you and I supposed to make? We are empowered by God's spirit to bring forgiveness and redemption to the fallen, rebellious world. This means that wherever you go, you get to bring hope and healing to those who are hurting. To live in the purpose you've been given, we are to live in the purpose we've been given so that no matter what we do or where we go, we are serving people, solving problems, and glorifying God in the process. The only way we can do that is to know Jesus. It is so important to keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, we, people talk about, you know, Jesus needs to be first. Jesus needs to be the center. Look, I just want Jesus, I just give my heart to Jesus. And the word says that out of our heart flow all the issues of life. So if I give my heart to Jesus, I'm covered. He's first, he's center, he's side, he's behind, he's all around. He's, I've given him my heart. And when I give him my heart, I'm giving him my passion my desires. I'm giving him all of me. I'm giving him everything. I'm not keeping anything for myself. And I think that we live in a time in a culture where everything is very self-focused. It's very self-oriented. And listen, we are born selfish. Like we, we all know that. Get around a room of toddlers and you know we were born selfish. But see, To know Jesus and to give him our hearts, it's the exact opposite of selfishness. You know, his example to us was that he willingly laid down his life for us. He gave it up. And so to be a disciple of Jesus, he's calling us to do the same thing. He's calling us and asking for our hearts, not our actions, our hearts. And when we give him our hearts, when we understand the gospel, the action follows. It doesn't mean that we get it perfect 100% of the time. But when we mess up, we have a heavenly father that we can go to. You know, growing up, I didn't want to make a mistake just because I don't like making mistakes, right? I, I 
I wanted to please my parents. I didn't want to disappoint them. And also, if I made a mistake, I didn't want them to know because I didn't want to have the consequences of my actions, right? Right? But you know, I'm, I'm trying to teach my kids, no matter what choice you make, I'm here for you. There's going to be consequences for the choice you make. But I'm here for you. I want you to run to me when you make a mistake, when you make a wrong choice, not from me. And that's our Father's heart. Wherever you're at today, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're in the midst of, whatever you have going on in your home, in your life, in your heart, in your mind, whatever might be, um, whatever might be binding you up, whatever might be tying you up, whatever you might be overwhelmed or consumed with that you know is contrary to the word, but you just can't see your way free, it's because you can't do it. You have to go to Jesus. We have to go to Jesus. We have to go to our Savior. We're all in need of him. Every day, every hour, every moment, we're in need of him. doesn't matter who you are. We're in need of him. If, my, if everything in my head, if all the thoughts swirling around in me, if everything is having to do with me, how I feel about something, what I think I should have, what I, what I think I'm owed, what I think should have happened by now, what I think I'm due, how someone treated me and I didn't like it. If everything in my head is about me, guess what I'm not thinking about? Jesus. Jesus. Guess where my eyes are not? Jesus. Listen, I'm not saying that we ignore emotions. I'm not saying that we ignore situations and circumstances. Take all of those things into account and we take it to Jesus. Because we already know that the burden is too heavy, that the load is too much. But with Jesus, we know that the burden is light and the yoke is easy. But it requires surrender. It requires us saying, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Not what I want. Not how I think things should happen. Not how I think my husband should act. Not how I think my wife should act. Not what I think my kids should do. Not what I think my boss should do, my work, whatever, church, whatever it may be. <coughs> Only what you want, Father. Only what you want. Living a life of surrender and giving our hearts to Jesus is the hardest thing in the world for our flesh. Because we, our flesh rises up and it wants what it wants, right? <coughs> My one and a half year old, when he gets into that snack cabinet, he wants what he wants. And I can tell him, Cash, you're gonna wait. It's, it's not snack, we're gonna have dinner five minutes literally. He is going to stand at that cabinet door and let me know what he wants. And if I can pry him away, and if I can shut that door, then he's going to fall on the floor sobbing because he wants what he wants, kicking and screaming. He wants what he wants. And I think a lot of us are like that in our walk with the Lord. There are things, man, we want what we want. But our Heavenly Father knows what's best. He knows what's best. And if we can know Jesus, if we give our hearts to Jesus, man, it's going to be so much easier to trust what the Lord is directing you to do, what he's asking you to let go of, what he's walking you through, what he's restoring, what he's asking you to let go of. 
when you trust the author and the finisher of your faith. How many of you know our mission? It says right out here, we exist, and the first point is what? To know God. You know, to know God can feel very um, vague, right? It can feel um, like a concept that's difficult to define. And honestly, if we were in Boston and pulled 20 people off the streets and asked, do you know God? The answer to that for a lot of people would probably be yes, but the reason they're saying yes, their background, their experience and their thoughts behind it, it would probably be different than the way you and I say, know God, right? Because you can be Jewish and know God. You can be Catholic and know God. You can be a Hindu and know God, right? So what does that mean for us? To know God is to know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. God the Father, who is a good, unchanging Father, holy and just. God the Son, Jesus, our Savior, our Healer, our Redeemer. And God the Holy Spirit, our Helper, our Strengthener, our Comforter, our Advocate, our Intercessor, and our Counselor. Man, that is all-encompassing. That is everything I need right there. But if I don't take the time to spend time with Jesus and to get to know him, I'm not going to experience the fullness of a relationship with him. And like the people in Nazareth that day, I might think, oh, I know Jesus. But I'm, I don't know Jesus the fullness of him. And I want the fullness of Jesus in my life. My heart today in preparing this was the just that no matter where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, maybe you haven't started one, maybe you have been walking with the Lord a long time, or maybe you've walked and fallen away in a room that size and joining us online, I imagine the stories are great and and the varying degree of intimacy that we might have with Jesus. But this I know, every single one of us could stand to know Jesus a little bit more. Every single one of us need to experience Jesus a little bit more. Right? Will you stand with me? I wanted to take some time as we end the service just to respond to what we've heard today, to, um, to allow Jesus to speak to our hearts. And so we're going to sing um, the song that we ended worship with about Jesus being our Savior. And, you know, it says in there that no matter where you're at, Jesus meets you. And so I don't know where you're at in that journey But Jesus is going to meet you right where you're at. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to feel clean. You could be in the midst of um, a really dark place. You could be in the midst of some of the grossest sin that you just just don't know how to get your way out of. Jesus is here. And he's going to meet you right where you're at. And I want to encourage you as as we sing this song to reach out to Jesus in a way that maybe you've never done before. The whole, this whole front is open. Um, I, 
I want you to come down, gather together. It's not like a line. No one's going to lay hands on you, but it's just you coming to the altar to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want more of you. Jesus, fill me with all of you. Maybe you've never gotten out of your seat and come down front. I would challenge you to do that today. Maybe you've never lifted your hands in surrender as a sign of surrender, saying, Jesus, I give you everything. I would encourage you to do that today. Maybe you've never knelt in the presence of God. Then do that today, right where you're at. But wherever you are, if you want to come on down, please come on down. And we're going to sing this together.